Well, hello and welcome to the Catherine Plano podcast, where we share tips, tricks, tools, and strategies that you can implement in your life for massive improvements. Every week, we have change instigators, compelling creators, and interesting humans who are breaking the cycle of convention and redefining success one mission at a time. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life. Now let's jump into your weekly dose of practical goodness. Where we live in a time that is very noisy, very distracted, very fearful, very divisive. The things that can help are doing the opposite. Come back to unity, come back to center, right? Come back to mindfulness, come back to practices that leave you feeling spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally replenished so that you can move through a world that is maybe a bit fearful and a bit locked in like that state of Buddhism that we're talking about, where you're not seeing the picture kind of clearly. Ever wonder what it's like to be in control of your wildest dreams, to step into a realm where the boundaries of reality blur and your imagination reigns supreme? Prepare to be enchanted as we embark on a captivating interview with Athena Laz, a luminary in the world of lucid dreaming. In this extraordinary journey, Athena reveals the secrets and wonders of lucid dreaming, a practice that allows you to not only witness, but actively shape the landscape of your dreams, all while unlocking the profound potential of your own consciousness. Lucid dreaming, as Athena so eloquently explains, is more than just a dream within a dream. It's an exhilarating voyage into the depth of your own mind, a portal to the subconscious where the mundane gives way to the extraordinary. It's the way for you to tap into your consciousness, harnessing the boundless creative energy within. Throughout our enthralling conversation, Athena unveils the transformative power of lucid dreaming, sharing tales of individuals who have harnessed this practice to ignite their creativity, conquer their fears, and embark on a profound journey of self-discovery. It's now time to tune into this one inspirational human being. Enjoy. So good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, depending on which side of this lovely planet you are on on this very moment. We have a special guest for you today. We have the beautiful Athena Laz. Athena, welcome to the show. Hi, Catherine. It's so wonderful to join you. Thank you so much for having me here. It's been a long time coming. We're finally here, so I'm super excited. Absolutely excited. We are finally here. Yes, yes. So, Athena, the way that we love to start the show, we always love to ask our guests their story. So what's your story? How did you get to do what you do today? So I feel incredibly lucky that I get to do what I do today, which if I could summarize it, is really that I am a dream teacher. I love the words of spirit teacher and really being a psychologist sort of in my former life, right? Um, But how I landed up 
writing books on dream work and lucid dreaming and really connecting to spirit and psyche um, was just a process of journeying through different modalities. So I, when I was younger, I was uh, very intuitive. I had very powerful dreams. My dreams were always very meaningful in that I paid attention to them and they'd often help me. I'd get creative insights. I had a lot of psychic dreams when I, when I was younger, I still do. And so in the process of sort of, you know, when I was in my 20s, I was like, what should I do? What am I good at? What, how can I be of service in the world? And at the time, um, I felt like the best way to do that was to train to become a licensed psychologist. And I did. I did that. And I loved it. And it was really incredible, the journey and the process and meeting people. And it's the foundation that most of my work is built off. But at the same time, I had this huge love for spirituality and symbols and dream work um, that is really non-traditional and just um, learning how to incorporate that those two different worlds in one way. And so it took me about 10 years of doing work as a psychologist and just doing my own sort of spiritual practices and trainings to finally get to a point when I felt ready to launch my business and go online and then write a book and then obviously after all the programs they do. So it was a bit of a tangent, but that's that's the story. Beautiful story. And so what has been your greatest lessons that you learned about yourself analyzing your dreams and learning about the dream world? I think the greatest lesson that I keep learning over and over, specifically working with myself and with, you know, hundreds of people worldwide, the main thing that surprises me over and over is that there's always a deeper level. I'm always so surprised by that. You know, it's so easy to get used to a practice, even like a meditation practice or journaling practice or talking to someone and dream work, I feel is the same thing in that there's always another level to experience and specifically with lucid dreaming because it really becomes a practice about having um, serenity of awareness and being able to utilize that in a very good way, both in waking life and dream life. And that for me um, continues to surprise me, continues to teach me because how I walk through the world has fundamentally changed because of that and so it really is a lesson in mindfulness that just continues how did you learn to decode your dreams because I know like I remember years ago I used to go into if I had a dream which I have lots of dreams by the way but I would look it up in a book and you know so there's different cultures as well so my background's French we have different meanings if you have you know for example if you dream of somebody passing away you're extending their life if you're dreaming that you've lost a tooth that could be the death of a close uh, uh, relative so there's always these little every culture has their own underlying meanings and then the books have all these meanings um are we to trust what is in the information that's in these books or do, is it a matter of really deciphering what's sitting at that deeper part of our unconscious mind and decoding the language of the unconscious mind? So it's such a brilliant question and I think that's something that most people come up against when they're first beginning to do dream work. So I don't have anything against dream dictionaries. I think they can be really helpful in that someone who is maybe struggling to 
self-reflect on a deep level, might be able to open the book and see, oh, here's a meaning. Um, you know, say we look at teeth, right? They're such a great universal symbol. So like you were saying, that could indicate the loss of a loved one, right? Or it could be in a, a dream dictionary, anxiety. A lot of the time people will, will relate that to anxiety. And it can get the person thinking. I absolutely don't believe in prescriptive symbol, symbolic meanings because the person, our own psyches adapt to us. And this is something that I write and share about in my book, right? As to how people to, to understand their own subconscious, their own unconscious, their own psyches. And so it really becomes the art of understanding it. And what I love about that, so I'll share a dream story I, my mother, when she was um, in her 30s, she had a dream that she was in a wedding dress and she saw her father on a hill. And two days later, my grandfather, her father passed away. And so every time my mother has a dream now where she had a wedding dress as a symbol is prominent for her, she knows that that kind of means that someone around her um, so there's death, death is likely, right? And it has maintained for her in that way. So she doesn't have these dreams weekly. It isn't something that happens all the time. It's not present for every single person who passes away, but sometimes she'll wake up and she'll know that that is a pivotal dream. And so in for her, that symbol, that wedding dress has become so poignant and so meaningful that it is the easiest way for her own um, let's say soul to speak to her to show her because she fully understands and understands the meaning of the symbol and the more you do this work the more the dynamic opens up and so if I have a dream of a wedding dress I don't take the same meaning on although now because my mother shared that story with me you know it's very likely that that will probably be the same thing for me so when people automatically go to a symbol or like a book and they say, oh, okay, teeth mean, this is the absolute meaning, or car, that's what a car means. I think they can be helpful to go, oh, maybe could that symbol, could that mean the same thing for me? Um, but I would not take it at face value. You have to look at the whole dream. You just um, triggered a, a memory that my sister and I, we both, had, we might, our grandfather passed away. We both dreamt of dolphins the night before. Uh, and we we still like I remember us talking about it, and it was interesting how we both had the same dream at the same time, and then that he passed away. So I haven't dreamt of dolphins for quite some time. So I wonder whether that's uh, going to be a, a signature for me uh, assessing my dreams. Maybe right. Mm. And isn't it so beautiful though that in a way this is something that I find so powerful about dream work as well. It's two separate people, you and your sister, both having the same dream about someone you're so deeply connected to. When we step into the realm of dreaming, we're really stepping into something so much bigger than we can comprehend, I feel. And we're so interconnected. It's something that I love about dreaming um, is that we're really when we fall asleep, we tend to lose our identity of just me, you know, and you remember that you're actually part of a collective and you're so deeply connected to the collective in all ways. What are your thoughts about this? I'm hearing a lot because of the shift that's happening as a collective. I'm hearing, including myself, experiencing not sleeping. And I know that that 
would probably tie in with dreaming if you're actually not having a good night's sleep. But a few people I have spoken to have waking moments where for me, I'll get up at between two and three every single morning wide awake. Um, and the dreams are so vivid that it's almost like the person is sitting beside me. Now I'm hearing a lot more of that's happening. What are your thoughts about that as a collective, as we are raising our level of consciousness? What are your thoughts? I think it's very much um, the, I felt that during the pandemic specifically, everyone was forced back into sleeping and dreaming in so many ways, right? It kind of, it, it kind of found its way back to people for better or worse, whether that was through nightmares or not being able to sleep or for, through people just finally connecting to their dreams because there was literally not much else to do. So people were really paying attention. And I think what's happening and my experience of people coming and saying, well, I'm waking up in the middle of the night. There's a few things with that. We have a specific REM cycle that can wake that you, you know, we go through cycles during, during the night. And when you tend to find that you wake up at the two to 3 a.m. time period, it can be because your body um, needs, you know, you, you're not falling through the cycles accurately, but it can also be, um, very helpful in terms of being able to retain information of your dreaming life right because you're it's right in the middle like you're saying it's so vivid it's almost like someone's sitting right next to you and so in a way it's it can be so many things you know so I think the main thing is that okay if you're lacking sleep if you're very sleep deprived dreaming just kind of goes out the window you dream but you most people can't remember it because they're so fatigued right so the sleep has to really get um under control to, what people know the practices as to how to get good sleep. Well, they're actually innate practices. We need quiet spaces, dark rooms. We need to not be consuming really negative information before bed in order to incubate good sleep, right? And then obviously, if there's a lot of anxiety during the day, to try and calm that before sleep so that the thinking doesn't carry through. But then when it comes into the dreaming and waking up at two or three, that's really like for me, I would say, pay attention because you're there's something there that really wants to get your attention um and it's a really great thing if you want to practice lucid dreaming because you're awake and it's very easy then to slip back into it at that time so i think i bombarded you with a lot of information there but i answered what no, you asked it's a great segue because uh, lucid dreaming is is that thing that I was telling you about that we've never spoken on the show in the last seven years. It's something that gets spoken about, but we never really unpack it. Like I don't really understand it. So I'd love to get a brief overview of what is lucid dreaming. So lucid dreaming at its most simple core is when you find yourself fast asleep, your body is asleep but your mind is awake. Mind is actually probably not the right word. Let's just say consciousness. So you find yourself in a dream, right? And you're dreaming. And then all of a sudden, there's something happens that triggers a self-reflective thought like, oh, wait, my sister doesn't have a pool in her house. Where am I? Uh, wait, I'm dreaming. And then you re recognize, okay, well, this is the dream. I'm in the dream. And then as you do the practice, the the art and the goal of it is, is to retain lucidity throughout the whole dream. So that's it. That's what it is. 
And and you said it's a practice, right? So what specifically, so as you alluded to before, if I wake up at two to three, in, between two and three in the morning, I can start practicing lucid dreaming. So what specifically am I doing? So it's very, very helpful. If you're waking up between the two and three time period and you're not getting out of bed, right? It's going to, it can be easier to fall into a lucid dream. If you get up and say, go to the bathroom and come back to bed, then it's like trying to do the practice at a regular sleep time. So what happens when you're waking up, there's an in-between stage between dreaming and wakefulness. It's called the hypnopompic state of sleep, right? And for most people, when you're waking up at that two to 3 a.m. time period, you often kind of aware of that in-between period it's why you can sometimes see things in the room um, with you and they're very vivid and it's real but you can have awareness of the room around you at the same time so it's like you're seeing two two realities in one go if that's the case it's very easy then to just allow yourself to fall back asleep and at the same time you focus your attention on remaining aware and so you'll notice that your body We'll go back to sleep, but your consciousness stays aware. And so in my book, um, The Alchemy of Your Dreams, I outline a practice in one of the chapters. I think it's like chapter six or seven, but it's literally all about the in-between. And I teach people how to do the exact steps. But that is what I've kind of shared here is exactly the main thing you do. You just have to try and fall asleep and focus your attention. So it's simple, but it can be difficult. <laughs> Okay, simple and difficult. So uh, are you saying that we can, so what's the purpose of lucid dreaming? I'm I'm just trying to understand it because so you're, you're in between states. So you've got your dream state and your wake state. So you close your eyes, you go back to sleep with a level of awareness. And then what do you do then? Like, do you how do you use lucid dreaming? Because I know people use it for creative work. I've known I know people, artists, they say that they, they get their best art ideas in lucid dreaming or uh, personal professional growth. Or if they sit with a, a, a problem in lucid dreaming, they're tapping into different levels of consciousness. Right. Um, so there's so many things. So So what do we do in that state that's going to be um something that we can apply but also something that's going to help us grow it so like you're saying it is such a huge um realm of possibility as to what you can do in the space and so I always tell people at the beginning right for people just wanting to try lucid dreaming and they're just wanting to see what the experience is it can be so exhilarating to do something fun for the first couple of um, lucid dreams. So you find yourself in a dream, right? And you are able to do anything because in the dream world, in that space, we're not limited in the same way that we are in reality, right? So if I say, I want to fly, I can do that in a lucid dream. And so there's expansion of emotion. I had a client once way, way back when who was highly depressed, he was clinically depressed and and he was just so stuck. He was so, so stuck. And he had a spontaneous lucid dream where he recognized he was dreaming. And he was like, he said to himself in the dream, I want to feel the opposite of depression. 
and he ended up flying and he, he, he flew over where he lived and he saw his life and his house and just had this experience that completely shifted him. And on waking, he was able to retain that emotional vibration and it helped him really kick, kick his depression sort of out, not fully, but it was the beginning steps of it. And so it really depends on the person and what the goal is. Lucid dreaming is part of almost every single ancient wisdom tradition. In Buddhism, it's known as dream yoga. The practice to do that officially takes three years, right? In shamanism, active dreaming, deliberate dreaming is, is the core, one of the core pathways to becoming a shaman, right? That's the work. That's the space they do their work in. And so when people say, like, what can you do? I, I like to say, well, whatever you can think of, you can do in a lucid dream. But it's also been proven by research scientists where you can have a dream of healing, for example, in a lucid dream space. Say you have an injury that you can't heal in waking life. You can attempt to heal it in dreaming. And there have been really positive results coming out of that. And I've seen it with a lot of people that I've worked with as well. So you can heal, you can explore, you can discover your own psyche very intimately. You can find creative solutions, creativity, like you were saying, artists, they know, they know the realm, right? <laughs> and, and so you can do so, so much in that space. And it really just depends on what the intention is. Yeah, because there's people out there that, you know, to get into that realm uh, will go and do uh, psychedelics, uh, ayahuasca, or to get into that state. And I know some of the shamans, they do that. They get into that state, into that um, a different level of consciousness and a completely different paradigm to tap into resources. And, I mean, I think that's what they used to do, the, the medicine if you go back, back, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands and probably millions of years ago, these medicine um, uh, uh, shamans would tap into those kind of realms to get access to information that probably we wouldn't have in waking state. Right. And in waking state, right, it's difficult to... Um, it can feel more difficult to access the, those realms of consciousness because we weigh down by our physicality. Whereas in dreaming, we just we're doing it with our dream bodies or our astral bodies, and so we we have less of I don't want to say like a burden, but in this case, like you have less of a burden because you're not limited by your physicality. And what I love about the experience is it's so experiential. It is not like someone telling you something to believe in. And I always teach this and share this in my groups that people say to me, well, I don't know if I believe that. And I, I, I think that's great. Good. Okay. Don't believe it, but do the practice and see what comes up. And I have yet to meet someone who's done the practice and come back to me and say, oh, wow, that hasn't like fundamentally changed something because you literally are in a different state of consciousness. Mm, um, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you talked about astral body. So is it similar to astral traveling? Yes. Yeah, so they have, um, in the, I would say in the West, we have definitely delineated between lucid dreaming and astral traveling, but they're very interlinked. So I feel that through a lucid dream, you can incubate to go into the astral. And so for me, it re I don't really, 
there's a difference, but I don't really focus on the difference that much. But I do know other teachers who will feel completely polar opposite to what I've just shared there. So I guess the other thing that uh, that I'm really curious about, Athena, because you talked about your background is in psychology. So what got you interested in lucid dreaming? Because I can hear what you're saying when you mentioned about the guy that had depression, he was able to do lucid dreaming and, and look like, what would my life look like without depression? So is that kind of a, uh, is that how you got into it as a modality to work with some of your clients? No, not really. And um, so actually, when I did my psychological, uh, you know, training, my master's and all that, I didn't, we didn't actually touch on dream work, if you can believe that. So I did my like seven year training and dreams didn't really come up. They came up probably in one little small modality, I think when I was in my second year of university. And at the time, I think specifically because I did my training in South Africa, a lot of it was to become trauma informed. And so we did a lot, I did a lot of training around trauma and, and modalities like that, that would help. But I've been a natural lucid dreamer since I was a child. And so it just has been with me my whole life. And then when I was in my 20s, I went through a patch where my early 20s, I was just quite wild. I partied way too much. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I felt like I was lost. I kind of had that typical story. And I, I couldn't lucid dream at that time. And I, I know it's because I was um, just like way too frenetic in terms of mindfulness and also probably just partying too much and going to sleep and not paying attention to dreaming. So that's actually really where the lucid dream love has come. It's been with me my whole life. But now in a sort of full circle moment, the timing right now is that there are so many therapists and psychologists and practitioners who understand the importance of lucid dreaming and are now bringing it into the therapy world. And so they're doing it in the frame that fits that world, which is good. They're doing it with a lot of veterans, a lot of people who have complex um, uh, PTSD, really bad nightmares. These are huge applications because if you're someone who's suffering from nightmares, say a repetitive nightmare over and over, and you cannot shake it and you've done the work in waking life, you know, or you haven't done the work, doesn't matter. In a lucid dream, if you can become aware of the fact, oh, I'm, I'm actually just dreaming this. This dream isn't real. You can dissolve the dream. And so say the, you know, the dream characters are running at you, they're shooting you or whatever the situation is, you can literally stop it. You can just say stop and everything will stop. And so that is so hugely empowering. And so the, the applications for it are really... Um, I feel quite profound. I I um I have heard of that. I've heard uh, there's an organisation maps where they actually work with people that got PTSD and, uh, but they use a little. I think they use different uh, methodologies as well. But I've 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 heard also people uh, getting people into a dream state and then it's almost like giving them a guided meditation to take them out of that trauma. Uh, and out of that labyrinth that they keep going around and, and into a different environment and work with them in that space. It's, it's quite profound. And for me, it's really um, the benefits are endless. Yeah, endless. Exactly. Yeah. So what have been some stories that you've experienced with some of your clients, the benefits of lucid dreaming? What, what was what, What's one that really comes to mind? 
Um, so recently, I so I run a nine-month dream group where we dream as a group. That is an intention that we hold and we do it hopefully by the end of the year, everyone can dream as the group, right? And in one of my, um, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me sharing, but um, so in one of the groups, I've had someone who had a very uh, chronic illness, a chronic illness that does not currently have a cure. And she has reversed her illness through lucid dreaming. And so that's within five, we've done it in five months. I will say though, that she is someone that is incredibly mindful in, um, she, she had a high level of mindfulness and a good meditation practice before she began dream work. So in a way she wasn't starting at what I would call sort of square level, you know, level one. Um, so it was easy for her to fall into a lucid dream space and a lot of stuff came up for her as to like why her illness was happening in the first place and that came up in a dream a symbolic dream she worked we worked with it in waking life and then she went into a lucid dream to intentionally incubate healing and it has happened for her and so um it's wild I mean it's incredible I I uh, I Oh, this is going to be a long time. In the Jungian Institute, Carl Jung's work, they used to do a lot of the dream work and something similar to that where this lady was recording, journaling her dreams. Um, she passed away, though, this lady. and But they, they what they did, they went back and studied her dreams. She actually gave them the, uh, the journals. Um, she passed away of cancer. But they could track all the information she was receiving uh, and to the the point where she was transitioned, so it was like it was a story and a beautiful story. And I remember the teacher sitting there telling us, and I had like tears pouring down my eyes because it is true. Our dreams are constantly speaking to us. It's whether we are, uh, like you say, mindfully enough, um, and and have enough pause moments in our life where we can actually maybe decipher with what's going on. But uh, how, how do you find it? Because everyone's on speed dial all the time you know with it's social media and and obviously that would have an impact on us tapping into that uh different level of consciousness yeah definitely fully agree with you there and it's just so amazing i think it just it's a, a word that i think doesn't really get thrown around a lot in the <laughs> self-help space but i think it needs to begin to is that we need discipline right not discipline as in punishment but like discipline as in okay we know the distraction is not good for us we know that when we are sitting on social media for hours and hours it's doing stuff to our mind it's we're we're hitting like a dopamine and then you know you and then depending on what you're watching and if not then it's like fear 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 and so in a world full of instant gratification and distraction and um everything happening walks time you know it is so difficult to tell people to slow down to be able to integrate what they are experiencing but what I find is one of the biggest motivators and something that I love to share with people if you knew you had this benevolent guide speaking to you sharing the most helpful path forward the one that is the most easy the most um spiritually profound for your own growth would you just dismiss that guide if they walked into the room and sat down and you knew without a doubt that they actually were there for a good benefit most people say no like they would pay attention 
And so I would say, if you can just commit five minutes every morning to doing a simple dream practice, that usually is enough to kick people into wanting to explore it further because so much already comes up. But it, it does take discipline. It takes a sort of self-discipline of saying, okay, I'm not going to choose to be distracted by social media. I'm going to choose to try and respect my sleep and I'm going to try and respect the way I wake up as well. Um, but it is a, a choice, I guess. We had a, a gentleman, uh, Michael Lennox, on the show who actually talks about astrology and dreaming uh, in the combination of the two. But he was talking about a daily practice, just even just in the morning, uh, trying to remember your dreams, just just doing that. Your your consciousness will come, go. Oh, she's really serious here. And then as you start, the more you start doing this work, the more that your consciousness and your soul will help you decipher or decode your dreams, which I love. And it goes back to what you were talking about. You had this group we are working through and that you hope that by the end of the year you can do group, uh, group dreaming, right. uh, which made me think of Lynn uh, McTaggart, who's also coming on the show, The, the Power of eight, 8 and the Intention. So are you saying that together as a group, setting the intention of dreaming together will increase the power or the energy of lucid dreaming. So whatever it is that we're working on ourselves, whether it's healing our body in growth in some way is going to expand. It's kind of like that, but not exactly. So in my dream groups, the intention that we hold is to meet in the dreamscape lucidly. So say you and I fall asleep tonight I know it would be difficult with the time difference, right? But say we, we intend, okay, we, we're going to fall asleep at the same day and time. And in that time space, we're going to meet somewhere that we've decided to meet in the dreamscape, but we're going to do it lucidly. That's what I'm talking about in terms of dreaming as a group, right? It's more like dream traveling. But what I will say is that the intention that you were speaking about, what I think it sounds like, because I'm not aware of um, her work, right, is that we also dream as a group and that we set the intention that we are dreaming as a group. And what happens is that most of the time there's sort of some group um, connection. So even though it's strangers from all over the world, there's always some thread that seems to weave everyone together as a group. And it usually comes up through everybody's stories and dreaming. And then the process kind of takes a life of its own. And what will often happen, it does happen in the groups. And this is, I guess, something that is, you know, um, links back to psychology is that if I share it, say a story of something that I'm going through with you, you might have a dream about me and that healing or something that might happen that you then share in the group and then the then we work with that information as well so in that way you are dreaming as a group but it's not a not like a literal dreaming so what do you do so you meet as a group your 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 intention is that you're going to go to sleep you're going to meet in this place whatever that place is and then you meet as a group so once you're in that state what what are you actually working on I decide that with the groups per year so depending on what like the group wants to do and what they need to do and then the intention that we set for the dream weave it's really part of the um I guess the like joy of of having specific groups per year 
Are you able to give us a bit of an example of what some of those, uh, like some of those group themes may be, for example? Yes, because so say we wanted to do it, you and I, right? We could meet together and we could go to Egypt. We could say, okay, we're going to travel to Egypt. Let's see what that's like. But we wouldn't travel there. We would incubate it. We would say we'll be in Egypt and then that's where we'll be. And then do you then get together after you've done that? So you just said that you're in Egypt, for example, and then after, uh, and then you just experience whatever comes to the individual in Egypt, and then you come together and you share your experiences and maybe some information that may have come your way about the individual within the group. Is that correct? It can kind of be like that. It's easier to think about it almost like we were actually traveling to Egypt. Say you and I were traveling, we're on the bus there, wherever we're in Egypt and we're standing at the pyramid. If we have good lucidity, we would remain together in the same space, right? We'd be able to talk to one another. We'd be able to discuss what we're doing in real time. In dreaming, it's the same. But what happens is that in dreaming, the lucidity is often lost. So people can easily fall out of lucidity because when you get excited, for example, or you feel fear, something makes you feel fear in the dream. You can't like your emotions can knock you out of that realm and you can lose lucidity. And in that case, the you as a group, you will see um you will see the change in that, right? And that person losing the lucidity. I once read a paper, um, as it's written by a, t- a great teacher, and he said that he remembered he was lucid dreaming and he decided he wanted to visit one of his friends who was also a very good lucid dreamer, but like you don't lucid dream every single night. It's a huge, uh, it would be wonderful if that was the case, but it takes really like a good level of awareness, I guess. And he's, he, he said he remembered seeing his lucid dreamer friend in the dreamscape and he kind of just looked like he was asleep (laughs) he was a little drunk and then on waking he said he emailed him and said I was I saw you in your dreaming and he said well what was I doing and he said you you just looked like you were completely asleep but he could tell him about symbols that were happening and they could he could remember them so it's a very mysterious a very mystical space to be in um, and it's also one that is highly experiential. It's available to all of us at all time. But I think it's important important to also be guided by people who know what they're doing, at least at the beginning. So you're saying that any emotion, so really we need to step into lucid dreaming as an observer and not get excited and not get upset and not fear. Otherwise, it pulls it out, pulls us out of the lucid dream. Is that correct? It can, yes, it can, right? So in ter- that's why I think mindfulness and a meditation practice go hand in hand with lucid dreaming. So, you know, um, in meditation, you sit there, say, let's say Zen meditation, you're just sitting and you're seeing what's arising and maybe a thought comes up and then all of a sudden you're thinking about some person that's pissed you off and you're angry all of a sudden, right? And in that moment, that anger is so real. And so in the in dreaming, in lucid dreaming, it, you find yourself, oh, this is a dream. Oh, my gosh, this is so exciting. If you get too excited, you can often just wake yourself up. It's like the excitement just knocks your consciousness right back into your waking body. And so any emotion that's very charged, right, it can even it doesn't need to be a negative. Well, negative, you know, it doesn't need to be fear. It can even be like intense exhilaration can knock you in, back into waking, um, waking life. 
So it is helpful to retain a sort of level of, I don't want to say like mindfulness, but you sort of regulate, it's emotional regulation. You're regulating your emotions or what feel like your emotions, even in the dream space so that you can retain your lucidity. Mm. And you mentioned symbols. So you, when you were talking about this guy that went in and saw this other guy in the dream and, and was able to decipher some symbols, who who actually decodes the symbols? The person that does the lucid dreaming or gives the symbols to the person that was in the dream for them to decipher it? Because obviously every, because I think about symbols, I even think about words, they all have different uh, vibrational frequencies. They mean different things to different people. So how does that work in that space? In that space, I wouldn't really recommend interacting. So let, so with the example, it was kind of, he was he was friends with this guy who was a really good lucid dreamer. And so because they were friends, he kind of, they had that discussion as other lucid dreamers if you happen to say you stumble on someone else's dreaming which i doubt will happen at the beginning anyway he intentionally incubated the intention to meet his friend in that dream and that is exactly what happened right so say you intend to meet someone who is in the dream and they are not lucid i don't think that's a space that people should be lightly interacting with or without the other person's permission so like it's a level that I just don't think should really be done. So the symbol wouldn't be, you could say, well, I've seen this, but I think it kind of comes down to like a level of ethics, you know? Um, so I would say the person who's lucid retains their lucidity and memory and then shares that experience if they want to. Um, but, you know, if the person, not if they want to, but if the person has kind of requested it. So say I have, um, sometimes people will request information um, or they will be stuck on something much like how you would say go to um you know if you went to like a psychic or a medium in waking life you're giving this person permission to tap into consciousness for you right but you're giving them permission to do that you're saying like i'm here i'm ready to hear and receive and then it's your choice whether you believe what they're saying or not in in dreaming we can access the collective and conscious and collective consciousness and so there is a level of being able to do that right um but i would again it's like you you, you go to someone that you trust and not something yeah mm -hmm. and and uh, athena how long would it take for someone like me who's never done it to to get into a space where i could heal my body create become more creative that kind of stuff how long think actually very quickly if you were very um dedicated to it but again some people find it very easy and other people find it very difficult so i've had people who will come and try and lucid dream and they will not have one lucid dream in the entire nine months and other people that will join in within two days they're having lucid dreams right this is a pathway and and hopefully a practice that is actually lifelong very much like how a mindfulness practice or a meditation practice can be a lifelong one right every day you greet the day there's something new and so in terms of timing what i, I do tend to tell people is that don't get despondent if you try and you're not successful at the beginning, it's also very hard. Imagine for all the time we you've spent, right? Um, so I'm 38 now. 
if I had never had a lucid dream, those would be 38 years of my life that I have not practiced the skill set. And then all of a sudden, I'm putting pressure on myself to be like brilliant at this thing. Maybe that can happen. And it does happen for people because a lot of it is about awareness, consciousness and belief. But at other times, it can feel very difficult. And even for people who practice it. So I practice lucid dreaming. I deliberately do the practices to dream. I still go through periods where if I'm very tired or something very stressful in my waking life has come up, that I will find it difficult to do that because it can be difficult. So it's really, it's really hard to give like a clear, <laughs> here's the answer. There isn't one, you know? Yeah, of course. And that makes a lot of sense. So you were talking about uh, sim- like uh, symbology as well. So in part of your teachings, do you teach the the specific symbols? Because uh, I know you were talking, to, it's open to interpre- interpre- interpretation and it is dependent on um, what experience we have. So how does that link in with the stuff that you teach from a symbol perspective? So, so I love symbols. Symbols are such beautiful things that we get to interact with, right? Um, I teach in a very... I guess, um, simple way in that the symbols that we are interacting with, we have collective symbols like you were talking about earlier, and we have personal symbols, and then we have symbols that come to us that are really transformative. They come from the soul, and there it's up to us to understand, well, not understand, but to journey with them so that we can get to the insight and the integration that we need within. And so when I teach people how to work with their own symbols, it's really, again, a process of writing down dreams that, like you were saying earlier, oh, wow, this person is really serious. The psyche says that, oh, wow, they're actually paying attention. They're listening to me for a change. So I'm really going to work with them now. It's like a guide, like, oh, wow, they're finally listening to me. What can I tell them? What can I tell them? What's the most important thing to tell them right now, right? And so the people begin with writing down their dreams, seeing what the repetitive symbols are, if there are any, seeing the repetitive themes that come up, and then working with those in waking life. So to make it concrete for anyone listening, say if you have, I think all of us can kind of empathize with this experience, where you have a dream where someone is chasing you, or you are you know right you're being chased or you have to be somewhere but like things get in the way you can't find your keys or you've lost the train ticket or the train's about to leave or whatever it is that feeling of being like not in the right place or being chased those kind of dreams are so helpful because when we wake up the symbols are so obvious in nature right the train that's moving forward you're about to you can't find the ticket for forward movement what's it what is it that's getting in the way right okay that's that's one helpful way of looking at the symbol are we being chased by something okay what's the thing chasing you if you could turn around and look at it and speak to it what would it say to you And those are such easy ways to work with the symbols in waking life. And those kind of questions are open-ended questions. And they, they, most of the time people will come up with incredible answers. I never give answers. I never give answers. My, my amazing dreamers, my dream clients, they come up with their own incredible insights. And sometimes 
if there's something that is really out of consciousness, out of awareness, let's say, like we can all have our blind spots, then it becomes really apparent because the symbol becomes repetitive or louder and louder. So it's very much an art, I feel, dream work. It's an art of working with symbols. There isn't like one clear way. There isn't, I mean, I, I do share an ABC method in my book, which I think is really helpful. Um, but that is really the beginning point. So it's not symbols as in, say, for example, astrology, where you've got the, the glyphs, the astrology glyphs. They're not those kind of symbols. They're more like looking at patterns and the meaning of the situation that took place in your dream. And then you then as um, a, uh, well, I would call you a coach because that's what you're doing, right? You're asking questions to draw out the meaning it is. You're not, not telling them what they are. You're actually asking them. Yeah. So, and then obviously then they can relate it back to their awakened moment, their awakened life as to how it's relating. Exactly. Once you do that, what then? What then? So the main thing is then to take some form of action, right? And I speak about this a lot in my book and actually in the next one that I'm writing, it's like getting great intuition. Say you have this like great insight about something and then you sit and you do absolutely nothing with it. How is it helpful? Okay, maybe there's some part that is helpful in that you realize like, wow, I'm way more connected. There's a much bigger picture. Those things are helpful. So I don't mean it in a judgmental way, but really with dream work, it's like you're being given gui guidance is how to move forward and what to do, what potentially could you could avoid to to avoid pain and suffering the only thing that i will say here as well which which i guess i should say is that when we dream we dream for ourselves most significantly but we also dream about the collective and that's something where i think the symbols come in and that where we can get into a very interesting space um which i guess in jungian terms they would probably call that like the alchemy of it where you where it's very specific symbols actually and they come up into the psyche in very specific ways and so that is a huge realm and we and I do go there with people who are at that space but I wouldn't say that's um for everyone some cultures say that we are our our reality is in the dream state yeah. not in the awakened state and this is where we can, if we can start working in working in that realm and start tapping into that level of consciousness, that is how we can bring from the reality, the dream world, the dream state, into our physical reality. Absolutely, right. And it's something that I, I share about in my book. And it's actually interesting that we're talking about this. So just before we did this podcast, um, my husband's on vacation and we went to one of the thrift stores down the road from us and I found this little great little dream book and it was all about the Zohar which is Jewish mysticism and in so the page that I randomly opened up on was on how the 99 what this author wrote as the 99% reality is the other reality it's the other realms of spiritual consciousness let's say spiritual consciousness or higher consciousness whatever whatever word suits right we are in the one percent right now you and i are talking right now the reality the table the wall this is the one percent the real stuff is there but we spend that time our time which is when we're sleeping right or when we're meditating we most of us spend our time unconscious in that space we are not lucid we are not aware we are not awake in buddhism the entire 
well, actually, maybe I just sound, I don't know if I can say that with full force, but let's just say in Buddhism, a lot of the goal, the goal of it is to become enlightened. It's to have lucidity of awareness so that when you die, when you pass away, what they call the bardo state, the after state of death, right, is like a dream. They all say it, it's dreamlike. And if you can retain your lucidity, you are not reincarnating without consciousness. You have some awareness or you can transcend, meaning like you're not coming back, you're going, you're going wherever else, right? To the different realms of consciousness or being, let's say being, I think sounds um makes more sense in my mind. So the it's such a beautiful, huge realm of possibility, you know, and it's an experiential one, which is what I love about it. Yeah, I, I, I'm agreeing with you because I used to do a lot of, uh, go to a lot of the Buddhist centers and do lots of meditation. I used to talk about the Bado uh, consciousness or Bado level and that when we get attached to things, material things, emotions, sometimes we get actually almost locked into this state into this state and we're not moving or ascending to the next level of consciousness so um yeah i i remember those stories <laughs> they're very, very powerful stories right it's so hard though and i think part of it is also like remembering our humanness of it and something that i've very much been thinking about is that you know we do live in a material plane like my father-in-law always jokes with me when I say you know well maybe the 99% is more important and he said well if someone came and just chucked off your hand you would really feel it in the 1% you know you would absolutely but this is the balance that we kind of all find ourselves in um, and I think coming back to what we were saying earlier where we live in a time that is very noisy very distracted very fearful very divisive the things that can help are doing the opposite come back to unity come back to center right come back to mindfulness come back to practices that leave you feeling spiritually physically mentally emotionally replenished so that you can in move through a world that is maybe a bit fearful and a bit locked in like that state of buddhism that we're talking about where you, you're not seeing the picture kind of clearly Mm. And, and I could see that probably that was uh, more attainable some years ago. But now with social media, I think it pulls people out of their center, if anything. Yes. And so I find that that's something that is we, we need to really reinforce about the practice of going from within and doing the work because that's that's all that really exists. Um, I'm conscious of the, your time as well. And before we go, I did want to uh, really unpack two things, a little bit about your your dream circles that you facilitate and a little bit more about your book. Thank you. And um, so the book the book is called The Alchemy of Your Dreams um, and it's available everywhere. And it's really a guide. It's a beginner's guide to the art of interpretation and lucid dreaming. And um, in terms of the dream group, it's a dream group called the Dream Weave. It's a nine-month program. It's going to be open for um, next year's intake in about two weeks' time. So anyone who's listening and who feels ready to do it, I highly recommend you join us. It's a wild program, and it is a program that I just um, – one thing, it's not a recorded online program. People are – present we come and we are in circle together and 
I have yet to have one person drop out or not attend because the groups really become like a strong community to move through life. So that's it. And then in terms of social media, even though I've said all these things about social media because we live in the duality, people can find me under Athena Labs. And we'll have all of that in the show notes. So the way that we love to wrap up the show, Athena, is ask you to leave our audience three shiny golden nuggets so what would be those three practical exercises or three show golden i can't talk this morning golden nuggets that you would like to leave for our listeners today thank you so the first thing i'd like to say i guess the one nugget i would say is just to really become mindful of how you move through the world and what triggers the second is to be self-compassionate so that when things do trigger to come back to a state of love and peace. And the third one is to have more joy. I love all three of them. And Athena, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It's been amazing. I love learning more about it. I'm very curious about it, actually. Uh, and like I said, we've never talked about lucid dreaming and uh, I'm sure people are going to reach out. So thank you so much for your time, your energy. I'm so glad we we finally got to uh-huh. get you coming on the show. So it happens. So thank you. Thank you so much, Catherine. And I know it's really early for you. So thank you for waking up and being so present and asking such great questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please click on share show with your friends to help make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to get involved is to click on follow show or leave a review on iTunes so that we can give you a shout out on the show. If you have been a long time listener of the show, you know we are big on delivering content that is valuable for you. Content that will address your pain points. So if you have any questions or ideas for a podcast show, please reach out and we will create the content to meet your needs. Yes, you heard right. If you have topics, themes or special guests that you want to hear from, please send us a note to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will create a show especially for you. Wherever you are in the world, sending you love, blessings and peace. Namaste.